The title of today's study is Revive Us Again. Yeah. Revive Us Again. I, I don't know. I always get ribbed because I'm like 90 years old at heart. I'm that guy in the friend group that's old at heart. And I like all the old Gaither songs and things like that. And there's one that, that they've done. It's, it's Revive Us Again. And it's just that call to God. Or would you do what you have done in the past again in a new and a fresh way and i know that that's our heart for the church and so we're going to talk about revival today because i, I don't know about you we need it the church needs it and the world needs it there's a world that needs jesus and they just don't know it yet revival what is it why pray for it and I think, simply put, it's a vast work or a wide work of God's mercy that sweeps through His body and the world. It's God extending mercy to the church and to the lost. Because I think if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we can lose our way a bit as the church. We can emphasize the things that God doesn't want us to emphasize necessarily. We can begin to become intellectual in our pursuit of God instead of just remaining in the basics of seeking Him through His Word and through prayer. And of course, we know the world, as Paul would say in Ephesians, they are living life according to the futility of their minds. They don't know any better. They, they've done what they have been uh, born into, and that is to sin. Now, one writer says that revival is a period of unusual and heightened spiritual activity in a section of the church, brought about by a renewing and empowering work of the Holy Spirit, bringing a new sense of the presence of God, especially His holiness, resulting in a deeper awareness of sin in the lives of believers, followed by new joy as sin is confessed and forgiven. Jonathan Edwards, the great preacher, says this of revival. A revival of religion is a blessed outpouring of the Spirit of God, in awakening and converting sinners, and in enlightening and quickening and building up saints in faith, holiness, and comfort. We need that, don't we? We need that. And you know, when we think about the history of the church, we've heard of great works of God before. And there's so many in the Bible alone. The first one comes to mind is Acts chapter 2, the birthday of the church, where the Holy Spirit was poured out. The word was brought forth in power through Peter. The gift of tongues was poured out on the, the, the disciples gathered and people were getting saved. They were having a fresh sense of the work of God and the holiness of God. What an amazing testimony. And on down through, through the history, we read about you know, the, the Great Awakenings and the Welsh Revival of 1904 over in England. The Azusa Street Revival that we've heard about where just incredible miracles took place. That, that's actually what birthed the, the Pentecostal movement. And I'm sure many of you have seen the Jesus Revolution movies. Anybody seen that? Man, what an encouragement that is. You know, with the Jesus movement... The Jesus Revolution in the 60s and 70s. And I don't know about you, when I was watching that movie, that just stirred my heart. Lord, do something like that again. 
thousands being saved, the, the church returning to her first love, spreading the good news. And I've heard it pretty frequently as of late, people are concerned with the trajectory of the world. And I think if I'm honest too, like I look around at what's, what's happening, it's pretty crazy what's going on in our, especially our land. You know, the, the, the unrest, the anger, the pursuit of self, God being self. And, and it's kind of scary. You, you kind of think about it. If, if you stop there and you linger there, don't do that. If you stop there and linger there, it, it begins to turn your view on the world. You know, we're seeing an increase in amplification of people living according to the futility of their minds and sin. Right is wrong and wrong is right. I'm wrong because you're right. I'm right because you're wrong type of thing going on. And you know, it reminds me of a season in Israel's history. In the Judges. You know the line. It says, everybody was doing right in their own eyes. Everybody's doing right in their own eyes. What they deem is right. And it just seems like there's an unending spiral toward complete wickedness, which we know God is not going to let sin go unpunished. If we're honest, our land deserves judgment. I'm just talking about our land. Our land deserves judgment of God. Because our land has been defiled. Our land has become impure toward the Lord. But I don't, I don't want to linger here too much. Because as dark as it seems, there is still the Lord who is in heaven, enthroned above all. Yes. I like to take a different perspective. I happen to think it's an incredible time to be alive. You know, God has chosen to put you and me here on this earth for this time. You're here for a reason, a purpose. It's an amazing time in history to be alive. The world is dark, there's no question. But the beautiful thing about the world is that it's God's. He's in control. You know, we say this a lot, but it's really true. The darker it gets, the greater opportunity there is for the light of Jesus to shine. You know, I remember... Uh, going on some hikes uh, at a camp. We would take the youth to a camp in Virginia. Um, it's way out in the sticks. No cell phone coverage. Uh, the, didn't have air, air conditioning. And, you know, we're going in the heat of the summer. And those rooms smell, let me tell you. You get, you get a bunch of teenagers in there with no air conditioning. Whew. But uh, that aside, um, it's one of the things that we would do is we would go on a hike. And there was a cave nearby. And I, I will never go into that cave again of my own accord. Uh, it was not an experience that I really liked. But nevertheless, we went into that cave and we reached a point, if you've ever been in a cave, you reach a point where there is no more natural light that gets in there. And, and there's a point where he would have us turn off our lights. You couldn't see your hand in front of your face like this. And, and that's kind of the sense I get. It's like, that's the kind of darkness that we feel around. But you know, the leader then turned on the smallest of lights. 
and it filled the whole cave. We could see again. But friends, the world is dark, but Jesus is the light of the world. It's been said that when the world is at its darkest, the light is about to break forth. And I believe that that's going to take place again. You know, Jesus often would instruct his disciples and would give them practical lessons. But he would, he would take experiences of the physical world and relate the spiritual truth that's behind them. And one of the examples that uh, I have in my mind is that when Jesus in John chapter 4, you can turn there, we're going to hop to a couple of different passages, but John chapter 4, you're familiar with this, this is the woman at the well. And the Lord had confronted her of her sin and was revealing to her that he was the Christ. He was the one that she actually was looking for more than the, the physical water that she was looking to draw from the well there. Uh, Jesus was like, I'm the living water that you actually need. And during this kind of exchange, the disciples are there. And in verse 31, the disciples were like, Rabbi, you need to eat. And Jesus responded to them and he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. And it's like, well, where is it? You know, <laughs> where is it? Do you have a, a snack bag around? Um, so the disciples were like, has anybody brought him something to eat? Where, who, who brought it? Jesus said to them in verse 34, my food, he says, it's not physical food, guys. My, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. He says, Don't, do you not say there are yet four months, then comes harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. The fields are white for harvest. I love Jesus' perspective here. Because he's, he's telling them, I'm going to be sending you out into this field to harvest and to reap the fruit. And, and I think... Just as we see the world and the way it is, I see, and I believe Jesus sees, that the fields are white unto harvest. There, there is a, a bounty that is going to come in to the Lord. And the disciples were concerned for Jesus, so they urged him to eat. But he described, no, I, I am doing spiritual work. I am actually eating spiritual food by doing the will of God, and that is going out into the harvest and reaping the harvest. Jesus says, you know, you might see the fields around here. It's four months until harvest, but there's a harvest right now. And isn't this what Jesus came to do? You know, he said, I have come to seek and save the lost. Each of us as believers at one time were lost. Aren't you glad that the Lord came to seek and save you? Amen. There's a harvest of souls around us that need to be saved. There's many who are searching for truth, but they don't know that they need Jesus yet. And this is the work that we have been brought into by the Lord. What an amazing thing. I think the temptation for us 
is that we can get frustrated with our culture. We can get frustrated with the politics and the things that happen. We, do, we just can't understand why people would live the way that they live. And yet, we were of the same stock. We, we were doing the same thing. And can I just say, if you are consumed with Fox News or whatever your news site is, you're not doing yourselves any favors. I'm not saying be uninformed. But don't consume all of that. Because there are narratives that are brought out along political lines, and God's game isn't politics. It's the spirit. It's the gospel. And so what I found, and, and I, I went through a period of this especially like in college. You know, there was like the first like presidential election that I could be a part of while I was in college. And I can remember just being so consumed by the stories and all of these things that I found my heart was beginning to sour toward the people whom God loves and wants to save. So let me ask you, are you more concerned about the trajectory of this country? Or are you more concerned about the the path that souls are on who live in this country. See, we can so bog our minds down and begin to have our view on the world warped by bringing in too much of the news and entertainment that we have around us. You want to know what the Lord sees and what I think the Lord wants us to see is that the harvest is plentiful. It's just waiting to be gathered in. And I love Jesus' perspective because he always, he always brought it back to center. He always keyed in on the spiritual behind the physical. He brought light to the spiritual realities of this life that are woven into the physical. And I'm not making light of the difficult and polluted world in which we live, polluted morally. I'm not talking about greenhouse gas. <laughs> you know, uh, Sexual identity and transgenderism, this movement, so prevalent. I think, you know, you look at that movement, it's a group of people who are searching. They're searching for truth. And they're just looking at it, looking for it in all of the wrong places. They're looking to be fulfilled. They're looking to find completion. You know, and that's only increasing. And, and, and anger and violence ripping through families. I mean, it feels like every other day we hear about violence and things like this. Families being ripped apart. The, the nucleus, the, the family that God has designed is, is not the bedrock of our nation any longer. More and more people becoming hostile toward Christians and toward the faith. Our land is broken. Our land is in search of fulfillment. They're looking to themselves and to what they know and understand. But I share these things so that you know that the Lord loves this world and desires for each one to come to faith in Him. These are just symptoms of the root problem of sin. And you know what? The Lord is gracious and patient 
and kind. He doesn't fly off the cuff. Man, I, I need more of that in my life. <laughs> Not flying off the cuff, you know what I mean? I tend to have a quick temper, but the Lord isn't like that. He's slow to anger, which means the fields are wide unto harvest. There's a bunch of people that need to be brought into the kingdom and enter into eternal life. Isaiah 30, 18 says, The Lord waits to be gracious to you and therefore exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Yes, God is a God of justice and sin will not go unpunished. There is judgment coming for sin. But he loves to show mercy and praise God for that. You know what I'm convinced needs to take place is a fresh work of conviction, both in the church and in the world. John 16, just a few pages over, John 16, verses 8 to 11. Jesus is about to go to the cross, and he's telling the disciples, you know, it's going to be to your advantage that I go away. I'm going to send the helper. And in verse 8 there in John 16, he says, When he comes, the helper, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I don't think we can manufacture a revival. I don't think we can make it happen. Now, I think there's things that mark revival, that God stirs in the hearts of His people. And we'll look at that in just a moment. But what I believe is that what we need is just a fresh move of the Spirit through the church. And judgment begins at the house of God doesn't. God's going to deal with us first. You know, as controversial as he is, uh, Finney and others have some great things to say about what can prevent revival from taking place. You know, a lack of prayer, a lack of faith, a, a turning to intellectual ideas instead of simple trust and pursuit of God. And I think there's some great merit to what Finney says. But I think sometimes he, he gets a little far over under the side where, you know, we can bring it all in ourselves. You know, we, we need revival, but we need a fresh work of conviction. And that's not something we can bring. You know, I think about it. There are so many good Bible teachers. I mean... You know, there's no shortage of bad teaching, let me tell you. There's not. I'm sure you've encountered it. But on the other side, like, there's great Bible teachers. There's great faithful men of God who, who teach the Word and who evangelize. And, and yet, for some reason, it just seems like there's a resistance. There's pushback, not just in the world, but in the church. There's a rejection of the simple truth. You know, some of these things that we were just talking about are propped up and worshipped by some of these people. Talking about, um, you know, transgenderism and, and the sexual identity movement and these things. The, the Church of Jesus Christ has 
well, it's, I don't think it's the, the true church of Christ, but people who are calling themselves pastors and, and part of the church, they're, they're embracing these things. We need a fresh work of conviction. We can't manufacture that. There's great Bible teachers. There's great teaching that's going out. But you know what is consistent among the works of God is that the Holy Spirit is poured out. And I know it's God's heart to do that. It's God's desire that all come to faith in Him, that His church walks as He has called her to walk, worthy of the calling to which she is called. A fresh work of the Spirit. And I think this, this fresh move of the Spirit, bringing conviction, will first come to our hearts as the church and then to the world. You know, if you look at the revivals throughout history, it usually happens that way. God will convict the church to return to her first love, to come back and do the first works. I know you guys have been work, walking through the book of Revelation, and you've studied those letters to the churches. And, you know, you see some of those letters, and like, it's like, man, that, that kind of describes the church today at least where we are, you know, and, and you hear the, the call of God to do that. And what is the tagline at the end of each of those church letters? He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Did you know the church back in Acts chapter 2, it wasn't born during a sermon? It was born during a prayer meeting where people were seeking the face of God, wanting to hear what the Spirit would come and do and speak to the church. Not a Bible study, not a Sunday school class. I'm not demeaning those things. It was birthed as the disciples gathered together to pray expectantly for God to send the promise like He said He would. And as they sought God, the Holy Spirit was poured out they spoke in tongues. They declared the great works of God. And Peter was bold in proclaiming the gospel. There was conviction that came to the church. And as expectancy from believers and those watching and waiting, knowing what God had promised, they received that work of the Spirit. It was in God's sovereignty. You know... The Lord is a good father, isn't he? Amen. And uh, this, this verse has been shared quite a few times over this weekend. But in Luke 11, 9 through 13, the Lord said, why don't you just ask for the Spirit? Ask. You know, I'm, I'm a good father. He says in verse 9, ask, it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it'll be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Which the converse of that is true. If you don't ask, James says, you don't receive. And the one who seeks finds, the one who knocks, it'll be open. Verse 11, what, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? 
We're going to ask the Lord for the Spirit. He says, if you, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? I think this fresh work of conviction will come, but we must ask the Lord to do that work. We need to ask Him to pour out the Spirit and to do that work. He's not going to give us a scorpion. He's not going to, he, he's not going to give us a serpent, you know, if we're asking for, for things from Him that, that are, by the way, in His will. His desire for us. Do you believe God wants to pour out His Spirit again? Yes. I do. Yes. I do. The world deserves judgment. The world denies Christ. The church deserves chastening. But we need an outpouring. And I believe He wants to do it again. You know, the thing that struck me about the Jesus Revolution movie, because... You know, obviously, I didn't grow up in that, that uh, time, and I'm, I'm somewhat of a, a newcomer to the, the Calvary Chapel movement. But just in learning some of the history from those things and, and just what God did in that work, the thing that struck me about this film is that it portrayed a generation of young people who wanted to experience wholeness, who were searching for truth, they were looking in all the wrong places, and it reminds me of the generations today. You, you can't explain, other than it was just a sovereign work of God, how all of these hippies just started wanting to know more about the Bible. I mean, these guys were experiencing psychedelic drugs. They were, you know, all caught up in the music and all the, the people who were wrapping them, them into those things and just love and peace and, and all of that. They were having their full of it, but what they were finding is that it wasn't, it wasn't really meeting what they actually needed. Yep. You know, they, they, they were looking for fulfillment in these things, but it reminds me of the young generations today. <laughs> you know, they're, they're rallying for their political and social causes. They're looking for truth. They're trying to find it in their identity of, of gender and sexuality. They're trying to find it in social justice reform movements. They're trying to find it by transitioning. They're trying to find it in the world's religions, but they're not finding it. I see it, and I know you do too. And so, Lord, send your spirit to convict he convicts the, the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin, that they are separated from the Lord. Of righteousness, that they can receive in Christ and walk in righteousness, walk in a way that honors Him. And of judgment to come. What we need is not a new ruling political party. What our world does not need, hear me when I say this, is not social justice reform. I think there are things that could be better. That's why we're good citizens and we go vote and do those things. Our world does not need manufactured socio-political peace. What we need is a fresh wind of the Spirit through our midst. The last passage I'll bring us to is Habakkuk. Chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. I like the book of Habakkuk because it's just an honest conversation between the prophet and the Lord. And um, 
in chapter 3. He's talking with the Lord and he's a prophet to the tribe of Judah. And he was praying to the Lord and just considering and contemplating the works of God. In verse 1, it says, A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shuganoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. I think we would do well to make that our prayer for the church and for our land. You know, he's recalling the great works of God. We need to remember what God has done before. Because I think what it does for us is, is it reminds us of God's heart and desire for the world and for us. It reminds us that He is able to move in situations that seemed helpless or hopeless. You know, Habakkuk was considering the judgments of God against Judah and, and Babylon. And even in the midst of judgment that they deserved, he cries out to God for mercy. He recognized, we don't deserve it. We deserve the judgment that you're bringing. Oh, but in wrath, Lord, remember mercy. Remember mercy. As one writer says, I love how he puts this. Not only had he heard of the Lord's pronouncement of judgment, but he was reminded of all God's miraculous deeds in bygone days. He's like, Lord, I've heard what you've done before. Could you do that? Do that again? In the midst of the years, revive it. He's like, in the day and age in which I live, Lord, would you do that? Would you do that again? And just think about the ways God has had mercy in the past. We've uh, summarized a few of them. And I encourage you, as you go home and as, as you contemplate revival, look at what God has done historically. Look in the pages of Scripture. Like Jonah going to Nineveh. And this is, this is actually one of the reasons why I think we can't manufacture revival. Jonah hated Nineveh. <laughs> and God did it anyway. <laughs> And so, it's God's mercy. And so, this, this is what I want us to see. The Lord is merciful, and this is His heart, to do it again. God is merciful. He abounds in showing mercy, Scripture says. You know, if you've heard the, the Bible teacher, Gail Irwin, and he'll share the, the passages from the Psalms, like Psalm 86, 5. It says, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in mercy. <laughs> You always say it like that. I just love it. But it's true of our God. The Lord is merciful. So what does this mean for us? Well, I think the Lord wants us to intercede for His church. For our church. For your area that, that where you live here in Trustville and where I live in Danville and in Virginia Beach to intercede for 
our area and for our land, that the Lord would extend that mercy. Moses said in Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, just another description of who God is, says, the Lord passed before him. This is him seeing God's glory. It says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Judgment is coming for sin in the church and in the world. And so I think we as the church, we should be praying, Lord, would you cleanse us? Would you cause us to return back to our first love? Would you cause us to engage in those first works again, to pursue you afresh? Would you stir within us, God, a work of revival? And I love the, the, the verse um, in Matthew 12, verse 20. It says, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. You know, the examination, excuse me, begins with us. You know, we need to know that God is merciful, but are we stewarding the opportunity to pray for further revival and for God's gracious outpouring of mercy? And maybe you're looking at your own life and, and you're wondering, where's the fire gone? Why, why, why am I apathetic toward the things of God? Well, there's good news. God's merciful. You can ask Him to revive that within your heart. He's not gonna, he's not gonna uh, quench that, that just barely smoldering wick that's there. He wants to fan into full flame the work of, spirit, of the Spirit in your life. He's not gonna snuff out that work, but, but call on Him. Maybe you need to confess sin Maybe you need to confess in with a brother or sister that you may be healed. Don't leave today without doing that and calling upon God to do that work in you. We need a revival in our own hearts. Do you need a renewed sense of God's holiness? Of His majesty? Call on His name. You know, the things that surround revivals like prayer and just returning to the Word and a renewed sense of God's holiness and spending time with the Lord, waiting on Him and hearing Him. If you know these things surround revival and are present within them, you know, like, like with the Jesus Revolution, it was like you couldn't get the people out of church. Like you just couldn't kick them out. They were around all the time. They just loved the Lord and loved being around His people. If you know that these are the types of things that surround revivals, knowing that we can't manufacture it, but these are the things that are consistent throughout them of prayer and seeking God's face and being on our, our faces before God and being around the people of God, then, then why not prioritize those things now? Yeah. 
and waiting. Like, it's like when the Lord sends, because I believe God is going to send revival. This isn't just like, I hope. I think he is going to. And I think it's incumbent upon us to, to provide good ground for that to take place. Because I don't want to miss when God moves. I don't want to miss the new work that he's going to do. I want to be in the middle of that work. I want to see God glorified and, and the church purified and people radically saved. It's coming. And know that it's God's will for man to call upon his name. Much more than you and I desire it, God wants to see it. God wants people to turn to him and him to extend grace to them. And so growing angry by the day at the spirit, spiritual spiral of our country, it's not going to do much. We need to call upon the Lord for a new work of conviction because he's merciful and the harvest is plentiful. Why don't we take a moment and let's pray for that to happen.